That's Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like to see if we can try to put a finger on the main theme of this psalm here, Psalm 150. I mean, there's something tying it all together, isn't there? Yes, you can see it, can't you? In fact, it's impossible not to catch the theme of this psalm here, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh, that is to say. When the Old Testament scriptures puts Lord in all capitals like that, that, that's what it means. In the Hebrew underneath this English, it's the personal name of God. Yahweh or or Yahuwah. We don't really know how to pronounce that name, but something like that. In the New Testament, uh, actually, we don't see that capitalization on Lord because the New Testament was written in Greek and so the New Testament writers just wrote Lord in Greek. Uh, and we've then got to figure out, you know, when they meant Yahweh and, and when they just meant the generic idea of that word, like, like little l, Lord, uh, sir or master or whatever. Most of the time, I expect that they mean Yahweh because the things being claimed by Jesus, the things being done by Jesus and fulfilled of scripture by Jesus, and believed in in Jesus, and explained of Jesus, were things in the Old Testament that were attributed explicitly to Yahweh, God. But I digress, sorry. And we haven't even really started looking at this psalm. Other than to say that praise Yahweh, to be sure, is its theme. It starts with those words, it ends with those words, like a couple of little brackets around that whole thing, just so we don't get lost along the way. Verse 1, praise the Lord. And at the very end, verse 6, the psalm finishes like that too. Praise the Lord. And then 11 times in between, for a total of 13 times in six short verses, praise him, praise him, praise him. Him of course, being the Lord, verse 1 and verse 6, Yahweh. Uh, It's there three times in verse 1, and then it's twice in symmetry all through the rest of the lines of the poem, giving us a pretty clear little psalm in terms of its key theme, praise the Lord. Our ESV doesn't have it, but we still use the Hebrew word for that expression today in our conversation and song. Do you know what it is? We just sang it, actually, before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. Hallel means praise. Hallelu is the imperative form of the verb to a plural audience. It's telling us to do this. And Yah on the end is the shorthand form of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. So hallelujah 
is the Hebrew command in those two brackets around the psalm, praise the Lord. The second line clarifies Yahweh as God. It's Hallelujah in Hebrew. El is the Hebrew shorthand for Elohim, God. So there's a bonus word for you, just FYI. Hallelujah. It's praise God. And the other ten along the way are Hallelujah. H U. Who. Who is Hebrew for he or him. Hallelujah. Praise him. So verse 1, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah, in his sanctuary. Praise him, hallelujah, in his mighty heavens. Between hallelujah and hallelujah and hallelujah, you now know about 40% of the Hebrew in this psalm, so dominant is its theme. Such that if you wanted to, you could go home now and say this psalm half in Hebrew and half in English. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Don't worry about that. Nor do I know why I felt compelled to reflect on that Hebrew with you. But at the very least, it is good for us and it's written in Scripture for us that we should know the translation of foreign tongues that are used in this church. And we do say hallelujah all the time, don't we? And so now you know clearly what it means. And maybe that'll be of use to you one day when you're singing or, or saying hallelujah. Maybe, though, even today it'll filter into your thinking just a little bit somehow and, and just somehow help you take hold of the instruction in this command, in this psalm, just that little bit more. Maybe thinking back and forth between hallelujah and praise the Lord just might enrich your reflections on this little psalm somehow and, and even edify you in your faith. To the praise of our Lord, may it be. Anyway, I digress again. Having framed its theme in terms of the where in verse 1 and the what, it sets out the why in verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. No one else has mighty deeds or excellent greatness like Yahweh our Lord does. Many of us think to have and be those things. But all the achievements of men and women vaporise when we contemplate the person and works of Almighty God. Praise him, therefore, the psalm commands us. This is not just a directive about us liking God or admiring God or identifying as God's people even. So easily we reflect on God in a, in a held-back kind of way. This psalm teaches us, or rather commands us, to let go a little, to be forthcoming about God by letting praise for him flow. Look at verse 3. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. I don't think that's an exhaustive or, or prescriptive list, judging from the vibe of this psalm. Find every way to praise the Lord is the intended meaning, I'm sure. 
These were just ripe examples for the psalmist when he wrote. But a much wider scope of praise than our worship music is on view is this, in this psalm as it, as it concludes. Uh, not just the singers, not just the musicians among us, not just the Christians even in the scope of this psalm. Look at verse 6 and the wide angle of this imperative hallel verb. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everyone, everywhere, let everything hallelujah. And then as if to cap it all off, as I say, one more time in verse 6, just in case we somehow missed it, praise the Lord. One day the imperative at the end there will be fulfilled. Everyone will praise the Lord whether it be those whom God cuts off from his presence to the praise of his glorious justice and righteousness, or those of us whom God has saved to behold his majesty to the praise of his glorious grace. But we should be thinking in the meantime, first of all, how to take up the imperative command in this psalm today. And I guess we first of all have to think about the musical side of praise, don't we? I mean, look, look at how heavily that features in the psalm. We, we can't get away from that. Obviously, one way that we praise God is through song. In fact, psalms are songs, which is enough to tell us that song is an important part of our praise for God. That's what this book is. In Hebrew, this book of psalms is called Tehillim, Tehillim, which is the plural noun form of that Hallel word, praises. This is a book of praises, which are songs. So songs are praises and we should sing as part of our offering praise to the Lord. And in light of this little psalm, we should give some thought as to how we do that. On the one hand, I guess, if someone has reservations, say, about, about whether a drum kit uh, would be right and fitting in our worship, they'd at least have to consider having cymbals, wouldn't they? Loud, clashing cymbals, says the psalmist. Let absolute rip with the praise of the Lord. But on the other hand, I don't think the flurry of instruments here that rattled off in these middle verses should encourage us towards random or disorderly praise, especially with that loud clashing cymbals idea. If you're anything like me, you know, our thoughts might run off with this psalm a little bit the wrong way. To be sure, there should be volume, exuberance, joy. That much seems pretty clear, doesn't it? But chaos, I'd suggest not. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And therefore, he goes on, all things should be done decently and in order. In fact, that 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, well, it seems to be Paul, it's almost like he kind of taps into Psalms like this when he says, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes... How will anyone know what is played? 
He's using instruments as a metaphor there in 1 Corinthians 14 for, for other aspects of our worship and praise, but, but the principle obviously still applies and holds for our music too, which I think could get us uh, into the space of, of getting a right grip on this psalm here. Joy? Yes, joy. Exuberance? You bet. Effort? 110% if you've got it on the day. But orderliness in all of it because God is the one who brings order out of chaos how could his praises run vice versa so Paul says in that chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 he says what then brothers and sisters when you come together each one has a hymn in the Greek a psalm each one has a psalm, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Paul expounds in that chapter the simple idea that our worship is to be orderly because God is a God of order and he's called us into his good order for the building up of his church. So if someone has reservations, say, about our music being out of control, we should be very thankful for their feedback and we should use it to check and review that we are still being orderly in what we do. When we sing our praise, we must remember the point of our song together in the community of God. It's to praise him. For that reason, we take a pretty serious approach to what we sing together in this church. Our Humble music team is slowly but steadily developing. Thank you for your patience with that. And we receive, receive a lot of feedback and suggestions and we're grateful for that too. But, but know too that, that from the very outset we developed a clear framework for what we will sing in this church. We scrutinise every song against 13 questions, including do the lyrics of this song praise God? and explicitly the God of Scripture. You may be surprised to discover that not all popular Christian songs have lyrics that do. So too we have questions in there around the congregational suitability of songs. Has it got long musical interludes and solos? Does it require vocal gymnastics to sing it? We want to sing praise together. We don't want to develop pop idols or, or rock stars. And we also reject songs that are copyrighted to organisations that in, in various other ways teach things that undermine or compromise the word of our Lord because we want to praise him, not deny him. So you may not like our criteria on that or, or agree with the results, I suppose, but I hope that you can appreciate that we do examine all of our songs of praise very carefully and I hope you can appreciate why we do that. We want to sing in church and for the fundamental reason of praising our Lord. I want to say thank you for your patience and your willingness to sing as a congregation to the praise of our Lord. It's a glorious thing that we do together. And I want to say thank you too for those who serve in this ministry, leading us in that form of praise. It is a glorious thing that we do together for our Lord. But as I say, the psalm isn't just about our praise through music. 
That, that was just the example at hand here. And what is song anyway, if you think about it, except just a musical form of, of our ordinary words of praise to God? So surely we should go a bit deeper than this and, and reflect too on our speech generally as to how we can praise the Lord. In Matthew 21, Jesus said that little kids, little kids knew how to praise him just by calling out, something about who he was. Matthew 21, verse 15. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, well, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So it's not beyond you and I if we can find the humility of children. We can just open our mouths in front of others and say good and true things about Jesus and that is praise, says our Lord. Another nice example comes in Luke 17. At one of the, the ten, lepers, ten lepers whom Jesus healed, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Giving thanks is a simple way for us to praise the Lord with our everyday speech. Our speech is every bit as important towards our praise as our singing is. It's even more fundamental, we should even say. And we should never forget that. We should ever be mindful of that. In Hebrews 13, we read, Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we must simply speak of our Lord too as part of our praise, saying good and true things about Jesus, giving thanks to God, acknowledging his name. Jesus wasn't so pleased with the people who were grumbling and complaining about those kids in the temple calling out his praise. He wasn't so pleased with the other nine lepers who didn't come back and give thanks if you read up those two stories. Our mouths should be open. But again, not in a disorderly or random or chaotic kind of way. And maybe this psalm could search us. When we do speak of God, do we honour him with what we say? <coughs> do we perhaps dishonour him sometimes when we speak his name? Do we use his name in, in that vague and flippant and dismissive way that our godless culture does with its OMGs and JCs that speak nothing of God and his goodness to us and his truth? I'd like this psalm to challenge us all. Let's cut that, that lazy cultural use of his name out of our vocabulary as a church. And let's instead be godly with our words, learning to speak of our Lord and so as to praise him with whatever it is that we say. But the psalm here should take us deeper too than our words 
Jesus said in Matthew 12, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart is where the mouth speaks from. Our song just embellishes our speech and our speech just flows out of what's in our heart. Do we praise God with what's in there? Matthew 22, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Does that sound like what's going on in our heart? What about the second part of that that he followed up with? A second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Surely the very basis of our praise to God is what we are letting him do in our heart. That we would sit under Jesus' teachings and and learn Jesus' way and be gentle and loving like him, it's got to be key to how we would praise our Lord, surely. I think that's what Paul's tapping into, that idea in Romans 12 where he explains that our worship, our worship is is how we live in, in a newness of heart with our mind and our body under our Lord. Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And so surely this is vital to our church community together, if we can get beyond the idea of praise through song that we would live in relationship with one another in a way that is to the praise of our God who has called us to himself. We would love one another and hold each other and be held by each other to account as to how we all pursue this newness from God that Paul speaks of in Romans 12 there, writing as he does, of course, to church just like ours. And no doubt there's personal application in these scriptures and in this psalm today that we must each think of and apply to our lives. But those calls that I've flagged in in Hebrews and Corinthians and and Romans and and Jesus' words about praise that I mentioned and all these hallel verbs in this psalm we're looking at are all written into a plural context or at least to plural outcomes. Praise will unroll in the congregation of God. So that's the sphere I think we should be primarily thinking in as we reflect on this psalm of praise today. It's all written as plural imperative. And I think this psalm pushes us as a community of Jesus to go deep. We would like to just dwell on music for a day. I mean, that's pretty comfortable territory in the scheme of things. Sometimes that's the extent of our thoughts about praise, isn't it? 
But music comes from what's within. And so we, we need to get into each other's hearts and lives if we're truly going to follow through on this praise to our Lord. And so all the things that we do as a community of Jesus together, as a church family, well, it's all actually towards that end. I got distracted before at the start in verse 1, thinking about the Hebrew words that we sometimes still use, hallelujah. But I'd like us to go back and think on that first verse some more as we finish our reflection today on, on our praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. In his mighty heavens. We might read that and consider, well, angels might also be recipients of this command. Well, I guess they would, wouldn't they? So too we should read that verse and see ourselves in those heavenly places with God and his angels. That is, after all, where this will end for, for us whom he has called, which itself is to the praise of his glorious grace, as the apostles keep saying in the New Testament. We will be gathered around the throne of God, worshipping him with one voice, with praise unending. We might then think about our praise at that level and see if it doesn't help lift up our praise in the meantime, here and now, uh, a notch or two. What we sing, what we say, what we cultivate in our hearts. Maybe the, the view from, from heaven where it will all one day be could, could calibrate what's going on for us right now. I was meditating on this psalm through the week and what popped into my mind when I read verse 1 was that the scene from God's throne room that the Apostle John got to view, look in upon in, in Revelation chapter 4. You may know it. I'll read it to you. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and, and within, and, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." That there in Revelation 4 is a picture of praise unending. They never cease to say it. And it's a picture, I reckon, about as close to verse 1 of our psalm here as you could possibly get. In his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens, in his glorious presence. If you have trouble picturing that scene in Revelation 4, then you should keep trying to picture that scene in Revelation 4 because, brothers and sisters, that one day is where we will be. That picture should therefore frame our praise now. 
Oh, when our hearts have been fully renewed, I look forward to, to standing with you all on that day around the throne of our Lord, giving him perfect praise, unending together. But so too, I, I want to join you now and, and offer up together the best to him that we can offer up in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And I can't actually do that on my own. I realised this week, meditating on this psalm, I can't do that on my own and I believe that no one can. So thank you for doing it with me in the context that it was designed to be done in. Thank you all for, for just being in this community because you and I just being here in this community creates the context the basic biblical context for our praise to rightly unfold to our Lord. It's really why we exist as a church, if you think about it. That his work would be carried out in and among and through us to the praise of his glorious name. So, hallelujah. Enjoy thinking through this psalm over the week. I'll leave it with you, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this little psalm today. And Father, we thank you for this little church today in which we sit and reflect on this psalm. Please have this little psalm edify this little church so that we continue to find ways more and more to, to glorify you with hearts and minds and lips that give you praise. In Jesus' name, we pray you help us with this. For your glory, world without end. Amen.